This is Don Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcasts that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to Episode 11 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World where we look at mysteries both supernatural and natural, anything that's strange, odd, and makes you wonder, the claims and counterclaims from the perspectives of both faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about the Antichrist. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, folks, uh, again, we're going to remind you to like Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on Facebook, retweet us on Twitter, Leave us comments, subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or YouTube. And if you subscribe on YouTube, make sure you hit the bell to get notifications. Uh, we do this so that you will make sure that, uh, A, that you will receive every episode, and B, so that it will help us get the news out and help you as you help share the podcast with your friends to grow the community of listeners uh, the, the show gets better the more people that are listening to it. Let's just put it that way. Uh, so if you want a, the show to get better and better over time, uh, then help us to grow the audience by sharing the good news, the good stuff that we're doing with uh, your friends uh, out there. So that said, uh, we're going to talk about the mystery of the Antichrist. Uh, this is uh, uh, sure to be an interesting uh, episode here for you folks, as they all as they always are. But uh, let's let's dive right into it. Jimmy, what is the Antichrist? The Antichrist is a figure <clears throat> that is mentioned in the New Testament, um, and there's there's some debate about exactly what the Antichrist is. Uh, obviously, the figure is related to Christ in some way, in, in that the word Christ is part of the name. Anti is a Greek prefix that normally means something like against Christ, However, it can also mean something like in place of or substitute Christ. Mm. And so uh, that's played a role in people's understanding and some people's understanding of it. But uh, really, as we'll see, the against meaning is the correct one. Antichrist is is someone or even some group of people that are against Christ. Okay, so. What are the claims that are made about the Antichrist that uh, we're dealing with today? Well, uh, before we, uh, so there are a number of them. Um, one of them, which you typically only hear among, in certain scholarly circles, is that the Antichrist figure is not just unique to Christianity, that it's also something that is found in Judaism. And in fact, you'll find books with titles like, and this is not exact, but with titles like, the Antichrist figure in the intertestamental period, which would be the first few centuries B.C., uh, before Jesus even began his ministry. 
And there are certainly figures, and I'm just, I'm going to deal with this one real quick, uh, because it, it's not going to play a role later on. Um, there are certainly figures in Jewish writings of that time in Second Temple Judaism that, um, that are portrayed as bad people and as persecutors of the people of Israel, but they're not portrayed as being against the Jewish Messiah specifically. And so, I mean, they, they may be leaders of the people who are attacking Israel, but they're not the Antichrist in the Christian sense. And so I, I think that while it can be interesting to study those texts, they really don't have anything to do with the Antichrist in the Christian sense. When we get to more properly uh, Christian claims regarding the Antichrist, uh, one is that the Antichrist has been identified with all kinds of different people in history. And people have looked at this guy and said, that guy's the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. um, historically, an example of that would be Napoleon, the French emperor who conquered a lot of Europe and really caused a big hullabaloo. Another would be the early 20th century or mid 20th century, early mid uh, figure, Adolf Hitler. For obvious reasons, right. you know, he, 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 he kind of fit that description pretty well in some regards. But then even more recent people have been fingered by some as the Antichrist. Uh, one of them was the U.S. President Reagan back in the 1980s, because the uh, number of the beast in Revelation, we're told, is 666. And if you look at Ronald Wilson Reagan's name, each of his three names has six letters. Uh, so <laughs> some people said he's the Antichrist. And back during the Cold War, you know, he was viewed as kind by some as kind of a reckless guy who could push the button and cause global thermonuclear Armageddon at any moment. Even though he actually was very opposed to nuclear war and wanted to eliminate nuclear weapons entirely. Uh, people don't know that story about him, but it's true. If you want to read about it, there's a great book called The Dead Hand, uh, which deals with his negotiations with Gorbachev and how Reagan really was the one pushing for let's get the number of these weapons down. Let's get rid of them altogether if we can. Mm -hmm. uh, by contrast, um, Gorbachev, the Russian leader was accused of being the Antichrist by some. And people note, would note that in Revelation, the beast puts a mark on the uh, either the forehead or the right hand of people. And Gorbachev, who was largely bald, had this mark. He had a birth defect right on his forehead. Um, my wife would even joke, uh, who was alive at the time, my wife would even joke that it looked like the Aleutian Islands off Alaska, and it was a sign he was going to reclaim Alaska. <laughs> uh, she wasn't serious about that. Yeah. But, uh, but there were people who were saying Gorbachev could be the Antichrist. And uh, more recently, President Obama was accused of being the Antichrist by quite a sizable number of people. Um, so that's one of the claims that, you know, somebody – one of these historical figures would be the Antichrist. Um, then there's another claim that goes back to the time of the Protestant Reformation, that the Pope is the Antichrist. Uh, and we'll talk about that some more. And then there are a lot of people who have the view that the Antichrist is going to be appearing in the near future and may be alive today. Mm. 
and that uh, various technological features or current events are are from the book of revelation pointing us to that truth yeah and okay. so basically the antichrist is the uh is it, to use video game terminology he's the final big bad of <laughs> yeah. world history and uh and so he's going to oppose christ in the last days and um things will be really bad but jesus ultimately wins and then on the view we were just discussing all of this is going to play out really soon okay so the counterclaims against these claims are what um there are so a uh, Apart from just denying the individual claims we just mentioned, there are a couple of other counterclaims that we should mention. One, it would be a skeptic's perspective that the whole Antichrist thing is just a myth. Uh, It's just Christian mythology. It's not something that's real. Um, Another, from a viewpoint that does profess to be Christian, is that all all of the prophecies of the Bible, including the ones regarding the Antichrist, have already been fulfilled. This is a view that's sometimes called um, complete preterism. It's also called pantelism, uh, which is the term I prefer for it. Pan is Greek for all um, in this case, and tel- telism would be from telos, meaning the end or fulfillment of something. And so pantelism would mean all the prophecies have been fulfilled. And so they would say there's no antichrist to look forward to in the future. It's all been done. I have heard a, a another claim, which is that the the prophecies are circular in nature, that there have been antichrists and there are antichrists and there will continue to be antichrists. And that, we'll be getting to that. OK, good. All right. I wanted to <laughs> make sure we, we get we, we talk about that. So then let's uh, let's move into what we know. Where where does. Where does this term come from, Antichrist? Is this from the book of Revelation? No, absolutely. Actually, that's it's absolutely not. Um, the term Antichrist is only used in two books of the New Testament. It's in uh, the first letter of John, and it's in the second letter of John. Hmm. And so if you want to know what the Bible has to say about the Antichrist, those are the places that are ground zero. That's what you need to look at first. Now, Various theologians have associated the Antichrist with a couple of other figures that are mentioned in the New Testament. In uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, St. Paul refers to someone he calls the man of lawlessness. And and he says various things about the man of lawlessness. Uh, He's going to take his seat in God's temple and proclaim himself to be God. Um, but he never calls him the Antichrist. And so that raises a question. I mean, there, there have been multiple prophetic bad guys, uh, in, in history, in the Bible, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, all kinds of different, uh, Pharaoh, all, uh, uh, the Roman generals who came in and destroyed the temple, uh, lots of different bad guys, uh, Sennacherib, you know, various people. And so, you can't just conflate these characters together. You have to kind of take each passage individually and see what it means in its own terms before you try to just lump them all together. And then based on what you find out about them, you can see if they might be the same individual. The other one that a lot of people have linked it with, and we've already mentioned him in this podcast, is the beast from Revelation, specifically 
It's the beast from the sea, the beast that arises out of the sea in John's vision in Revelation chapter 13, and that then becomes a dominant villainous player through the rest of the book. But once again, in Revelation, John never calls this figure Antichrist. And so we have to understand the beast in its own context in Revelation before we try to relate it to these uh, to the Antichrist or to the man of lawlessness. So uh, that's sort of the, the, the basis or background for our discussion then. So let's approach this first. Um, let's first do it from the reason perspective, because obviously the faith perspective, uh, I think that'll be the larger discussion. So let's yeah. uh, approach it first from the perspective of reason. Uh, what is a scholarly look at this sort of thing? Uh, tell us. Okay, well, uh, to start with the man of lawlessness, um, as I mentioned, Paul says he's going to sit in God's temple and he's uh, going to declare himself to be God. Now, this is actually very much like something that the Roman emperor Caligula did in the AD, uh, 30s and early AD 40s. He ordered that a statue of him be placed in the Jerusalem temple um, for Jews to pay homage to. And it caused a huge, huge backlash. Um, the, the Jews would have gone to war if they tried to do that right then. Um, and there was a, a famous embassy to uh, Caligula that you can read about uh, that the Jewish philosopher Philo was part of, and he gives his own first-person account. It's in a book called The Embassy to Gaius. Gaius was Caligula's uh, given name. Caligula was a nickname that meant little boot because he, as a as a boy, he would wear a Roman soldier's costume that had little boots. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but if the man, so the way a normal reader of Second Thessalonians would interpret the reference to. Uh, a man of lawlessness sitting in God's temple um, and proclaiming himself to be God or a God, you would expect that to be the temple in Jerusalem, which doesn't exist. And because it got torn down in AD 70 by the same Romans. And so, um, so it's a little hard to identify the Antichrist with the man of sin on that basis, although it might be possible if, as some people propose, the temple's going to be rebuilt before the end of the world. So that's a possibility. In regard to the beast claim, again, they don't line up entirely. Um, one of the things, and I know we're going to talk about this in a future episode because I want to devote a whole episode specifically to the beast, um, but just to give a, a brief summary of what we're going to talk about in that episode. The evidence is that the beast is identified with the line of Roman emperors. If you look carefully at the evidence, the mm -hmm. beast is identified with the line of Roman emperors of the first century and specifically with the emperor Nero. Uh, one of the things about Nero's name is if you add up Nero Caesar in Hebrew, it becomes 666. So, Right. There's that between that and other symbolism in Revelation, it really strongly points to the Roman emperors. And that would tend to mean that the future Antichrist of prophecy also is not going to be strictly identified with the beast. But there could be some future big bad who is similar to the Roman emperors that could be. 
but it's not the simplistic one-on-one identification that you might think. Uh, Regarding the various individuals that have been claimed to be the Antichrist, from from Napoleon to Obama, and there are others, well, those claims didn't work out so great. Uh, Some of them, like Reagan and Gorbachev and Obama, uh, whatever you think of them as individuals, they weren't the final big bad of human history. Um, others like Napoleon or especially Hitler could reflect aspects of Antichrist and could kind of be forerunners of Antichrist. And you might even say they were early Antichrists, but not the final Antichrist that is to be expected in the future. Then we have the uh, papal Antichrist claim, and that one's really problematic. To show you why that's problematic, I want to go to the text in uh, 1 John and read you a little bit of it. If you go to 1 John 2 and start reading uh, at at verse 18, um, we find the following. John says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you know, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. So there's more than one Antichrist. Um, therefore, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, which would mean that they're ex-Christians who no longer identify as Christian. Uh, but they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they are not of us. So they are former Christians who've renounced the faith and are now against Christ. He then uh, continues in verse 22 and says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, especially as a former Christian, that puts you in the camp of the Antichrist and you are a little Antichrist. Uh, In 1 John 4, He says a little bit more in verse three. He says, every spirit which does not confess Jesus is not of God. And he's talking about how to discern good spirits from bad spirits. Like if a prophet is is speaking for a spirit, is it a spirit of God or a spirit of the devil? He says, uh, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you heard that it was coming and now it is in the world already. So Antichrist is a phenomenon that has been with us since the beginning. You mentioned, Dom, earlier about how there's this cyclical view of we have had Antichrist, we are having Antichrist, and we will have Antichrist. That's firmly based in what John's talking about right here in 1 John 4, 3. Finally, the last mention of Antichrist per se, Antichrist using the word, is in Second uh, John verse 7, where he says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world, men who will not acknowledge the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So if you want to qualify as antichrist in the biblical sense, you at least need to be denying, not just be against, saying, oh, I don't think Jesus is the Messiah. You need to be saying, Jesus did not come in the flesh. 
Uh, you need to somehow deny the incarnation in particular. You deny that Jesus is the Christ. That's one of the other things you need to say. And so if you, even though people have tried to link the Pope to the Antichrist by some numerical jiggery pokery that we'll talk about in, in the number of the beast episode, mm -hmm. um, really it doesn't fit because right. the Pope's job is to be the successor of Peter. That's what he is. And he's to announce Christ to the world. And whether he's a good man or a bad man or whatever, he's still not going to undercut the basis of his job by saying, oh, Jesus wasn't incarnate and he wasn't the Christ. There isn't a single pope who's ever said, who's ever denied that Jesus is the Christ. Right, exactly. His whole authority is based on the fact that Jesus was incarnate and was the Christ and gave Peter a special role in the church that the Pope has now inherited. So he would undercut the basis of his office if he said anything like this. So consequently, no, the Pope is not the Antichrist. It just does not fit the biblical data. Where that comes from really is Reformation-era polemics where when the Protestant reformers were breaking away from the Catholic Church, which everyone regarded to be the Bride of Christ, they needed to provide some alternative narrative to relieve the cognitive tension of how can we be leaving the Bride of Christ? Right. Well, okay, so suddenly let's recast it not as the Bride of Christ. Let's recast the Church as the Whore of Babylon and make its leader, the Pope, the Antichrist, the big villain. But it just doesn't fit the biblical data for how the word Antichrist is used in the Bible. Okay. So, and then the 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 last aspect of the uh, uh, of the, cl claims. Of the claim of the reason yeah. perspective to the claims. So, the last claim that we haven't really talked about is: well, what about the idea that the Antichrist is going to be appearing in our near future? It could happen. There's no way to know for sure. Um, on the other hand, the track record of people predicting that the Antichrist was about to appear is pretty bad. <laughs> Up to now, every time someone said, oh, it's just around the corner, Armageddon's going to happen in the 1980s, man. I'm telling you, the Middle East is oil crisis and Russia's going to invade and all this stuff. No, none of that's happened. Um, so uh, it's possible that it could that it'll be in our near future, but the track record of such predictions is actually pretty bad. Uh, a whole forest of trees have been cut down to print books uh, about various uh, fulfillment prophecies uh, of the, of the antichrist in the near future. So uh, yes. Uh, although yeah. uh, do we say that you know, there, you know, do we say, or does the, uh, and we're going to get into this maybe with the faith perspective. Um, is the antichrist, is it, is that a certainty? that there will be uh, a figure coming who will be the big bad that ends all things? Well, um, let I, I want to get to that. But I, first, I want to, from the faith perspective, give responses to uh, okay. the two added claims okay, that we mentioned. <clears throat> One of them is that this is just myth, that there is no Antichrist. Well, if you're, a, if you're a skeptic, you're not a Christian, then I understand why you would say that. Um, However, as a Christian, uh, you know, it's the concept is right there in the New Testament. It's not in a lot of verses, but it's there. And so as a Christian, I and other Christians have to take that seriously. And so I think this is a real thing. Uh, I understand if you're not a Christian, you're not going to necessarily buy this. 
But from a faith perspective, which is what we're asking about here, it is something that Christians need to take seriously and believe in. Um, in response to the everything is fulfilled claim, the Pantalist claim, um, Pantalism is a subject that, and we may go into it more in the future, it's really problematic, though, uh, on for a couple of reasons. Number one, now, Pantalism tends to be common in certain Protest, in certain Protestant circles, and it's it's really a minority position there. The vast majority of Protestants are not Pantalists, um, and uh, it's it's really kind of a fringe position. And but there are some people who hold it, and so I, I want to give them their you know their fair sh their props. Um, they can point to a lot more prophecies have been fulfilled than many people recognize. Um, a lot of people in the kind of late great planet Earth crowd that thought, for example, Armageddon was going to be in the 1980s, um, have way overestimated the amount of prophecy that remains to be fulfilled. Uh, lots of it has been fulfilled. The question is, has all of it been fulfilled. Well, if you're operating in a sola scriptura environment that says we need to base our theology on scripture only and not look at tradition as an authoritative source, then you could say, mm, maybe, maybe we can find a way to say all these prophecies like a resurrection of the dead at the end of time and a new heaven and a new earth maybe we can find a way to say all that's happened. But you're, you're frankly, the Pantalists really have to stretch to do that. Um, it really does not look like the resurrection of the dead has happened. And it really does not look like the second coming of Christ has happened. Um, so, um, so as a result of that, I think Pantalism is problematic just on scriptural grounds. It doesn't look like these prophecies have been fulfilled. In addition, if you're coming at it from a Catholic perspective or even a perspective of, that many Protestants might be prepared to acknowledge of, look, the Holy Spirit, even if you don't buy the magisterium or don't give tradition full authority, the Holy Spirit is guiding the church. And the Holy Spirit is not going to have guided the church into thinking Jesus is coming back in the future and the resurrection of the dead is going to happen in the future when Oops, those have already happened and we missed it. Um, so even if you have just a general belief in the guidance of the Christian community by the Holy Spirit, Pantalism is, um, is really problematic. And if you come from a Catholic perspective that recognizes the value of tradition and the value of the teachings of the magisterium, it's even more problematic. So Pantalism I, I, is something that I think is very difficult to sustain. In terms of what the Catholic Church actually teaches about the Antichrist, this is found in a couple of paragraphs in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You can look them up. They're paragraphs 675 and 676. We'll have them in the show notes. But also, <clears throat> I'm going to read them right now just so I won't keep anyone in suspense. Uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, Before Christ's second coming, the Church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception offering men an apparent solution to their problems 
at the price of apostasy from the truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist. So the church acknowledges there's an Antichrist in the future, and it, it speaks of it as singular, the Antichrist. However, it then says, uh, in saying uh, the supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, a pseudo-messianism by which man glorifies himself in place of God and of his Messiah come in the flesh. So that makes it sound like it's not exactly a single individual, it's a movement a pseudo-Messianism mm. that tries to glorify man in the place of Christ. Um, now, I, I, so there's a little ambiguity here about is the catechism envisioning a single Antichrist or like an Antichrist who is a single individual and is in charge of this mo pseudo-Messianic movement? I think both of those are, are possible readings. Um, paragraph 676 then continues, the Antichrist's deception already begins to, to take shape in the world every time the claim is made. So this is back to the cyclical theory. Every time the claim is made to realize within history that messianic hope, which can only be realized beyond history through the eschatological judgment. That's the last judgment. The church has, e has rejected even modified forms of this falsification of the kingdom to come under the name of millenarianism, which is another word for premillennialism, to use the Protestant term for it, especially, but not only premillennialism, it also it covers other things, which the Catechism then mentions by saying, especially the intrinsically perverse political form of secular messianism, like for example, communist claims, we're going to build this secular utopia where the state and communism is going to provide solutions to everything and bring about effectively heaven on earth. Um, that would also be a manifestation of the spirit of Antichrist and the deception of Antichrist. So the way the Catechism views it, um, <clears throat> it goes along with what St. John says in his epistles about there being a spirit of Antichrist that's already at work in the world and that manifests, among other things, in Christians who turn their back on Christianity and deny uh, Jesus coming in the flesh and, uh, and, and so forth. And it can take other forms of a more religious nature as well. Uh, and there will be a final culmination of all of this, presumably with some single individual man at, at its head. Interesting. <clears throat> and so it, the church offers us a, a, a vision uh, of what to look for. This is what we're supposed to be aware of and looking for. But we also have to be careful to not overapply it uh, right. too readily. We, Right, because if you look at, let's say, a secular messianic movement um, like communism in the 20th century or Nazism, um, you could say, well, OK, this is somehow participating in the spirit of Antichrist, but um, you want to be careful and not leap to the conclusion this is the final Antichrist, because that's something that, again, there's a poor track record of. Also, for reasons of charity, you need to be careful about this. You might look at, let's say, the policies of a particular political party and say, ooh, they tend to be on the secular end of the spectrum, 
and they're trying to do good in the world. Therefore, they're the Antichrist or they're <laughs> a manifestation of the Antichrist. Right. Well, maybe they're just well-meaning secularists and they're not, you know, that you may you may not agree with them, but you don't want to start lobbing charges of being the Antichrist or being an Antichrist at people. That's not going to help you. In fact, if you want your party to get elected, you probably don't want to talk too crazy about the other party <laughs> in a way that's going to turn people off. And the, the bottom line is, is you know, with with like Nazism or communism, there, there's enough there. Like our reaction to them is to oppose them, whether they are the Antichrist or they are a secular messianic movement that falls short of it somehow. We still opposed Nazism. We still opposed the spread of communism throughout the world. That was still something we we did anyway. So our reaction yeah. is should should be the same in either of those cases. So what's the bottom line then uh, with the mystery of the Antichrist? Well, the bottom line is the Antichrist is not just a single individual, as we learned from John. Uh, there are many individual Antichrists who are characterized by denying Jesus. So if you're not denying Jesus, if you're not saying he wasn't the Christ, if you're not saying he didn't come in the flesh, you're not the Antichrist in the biblical sense. Uh, there will be a major manifestation of the spirit of the spirit of Antichrist shortly before the end of the world, and it will likely center on a single great final Antichrist. Okay. All right. So uh, we will have uh, these key texts uh, in our show notes, uh, the biblical verses and the uh, paragraphs from the Catechism of the Catholic Church that Jimmy referenced. Uh, so you can take a look for yourself and, and read what, what is written there. And, uh, you know, we, so we want to also encourage you to give us your feedback and what do you think of what we're talking about here about the Antichrist. So before we wrap up, of course, we want to talk about, uh, we want to hear from you, like we said. And so we have some mysterious feedback that we'd like to bring. Uh, we have two uh, iTunes reviews. And before I read them, I just want to encourage folks to, wherever you're getting your podcast from, please uh, leave us a review. If it's on iTunes, you know, hit that five star and give us a nice little plug or uh, or Google Play or uh, all the places where you can get a uh, podcast. You can also uh, leave a rating or a review. And we really would appreciate it. That uh, helps the algorithms in various places say, hey, this is something people like. And we'll start showing it to more people. So we really do appreciate that. Um, so in iTunes, we have uh, a review from a five-star review from Sayu Rasco. Uh, yeah, I, I think if our if memory serves, his name is Chris Urasco. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, so uh, I will trust Jimmy on that one. So it says, uh, Jimmy's the best. I agree, Chris. It's great to hear him explore the mysterious and weird in much greater detail than, than he can on Catholic Answers Live. Uh, would allow due to time constraints. This is a great start. Keep it up, he says. He wrote that very early on, I think, after our first episode. Yeah, that may be our first review with a comment. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, I, You're right. On Catholic Answers Live, I have to keep answers really short. There's no way we could go into this level of depth. And some of the things here are ones that uh, wouldn't even come up on Catholic Answers Live, except maybe on Weird Questions Day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as for those of you who don't know, Jimmy uh, is on uh, Catholic Answers Live, which is a, a weekday, weekday, right? Weekday radio mm -hmm. program, yeah. live radio program that you can hear on many Catholic radio stations. So, And it's also available in podcast form. Oh, yes, exactly. Yes, I should mention that. Uh, then we have another review, this time from uh, 
Leela K, I'll say. Uh, she says, uh, not a sci-fi fan, but I am a fan of this podcast. Hey, you don't have to be a sci-fi fan to be a fan of this podcast. Be, this is this is a general interest podcast. You just you just need to like mystery. And uh, Leela K says, thank you. Thanks for educating me on issues I don't normally lean to. Your factual, non-abrasive dialogue slows me to share with more people. Really loved it. Uh, so great. Thank you, Leela K. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Leela. I really try to be uh, the two things that you mentioned, factual and non-abrasive. Um, I, I, I try to find and respect, you know, plausible elements in everybody's viewpoint, even if it's one I ultimately disagree with. And I try to proceed, you know, in a reasonable way that doesn't denigrate people um, as, mu as much as possible. I may have slips, but I really try to be, uh, you know, as you say, factual and non-abrasive. And that one of the reasons for that is exactly the point that you make, which is it makes it easier to share with other people. Mm -hmm. Because uh, if you share this program with other people, you're going to have the confidence that I'm not going to be hauling off and calling people names or being mean-spirited or you know going off into absolutely crazy speculation. I'm trying to keep things centered on facts and be open to speculation, but also be uh, fact-based and at the same time be charitable towards everybody. So thank you so much. You, you're, uh, it's great for me to hear that you're picking up on exactly the things I'm trying to do. Yeah, it's, it's so much in the world today that uh, a lot of discussions end up in uh, people just trying to win. They want to w win an argument or something. Uh, I love the fact that our discussions are just uh, curiosity and exploration. And it's yeah. not, not, we're not, no one's winning anything here. We're just having a great discussion. And, uh, and, and that's what I love about it. So thank you. Thank you both. Uh, Chris Urasco and Lila Kay for your, uh, iTunes reviews and for all the feedback, keep it coming folks. We've got so much more feedback. We've, we're coming on future episodes. I uh, really love it. Uh, so let's go to mystery headlines, Jimmy. What are we, what are our mystery headlines this week? Uh, this week, one of them is how to deal with a centaur. That's the mythical creature that's half man, half horse. How to deal with a centaur having a heart attack. A <laughs> um, couple of doctors got into an exchange about this. Uh, what kind of medical treatment do you provide for a centaur in cardiac distress? Do you, for example, treat the human heart or the horse heart? Mm. Um, you know, if you treat one and, and you have trouble can the other sustain the blood flow that the centaur's body needs you know what about its lungs are they really powerful enough to deliver oxygen to this whole body so if you've ever wondered i love this geeky what if stuff this you yeah. know this is like weird questions day only it's medical instead of <laughs> theological so yeah. if uh, if you want to read what these doctors concluded about different ways to treat a horse uh, or to treat a centaur um, given the fact it's half man, half horse, uh, by all means, check out the link in the show notes. Something tells me this discussion began either over a beer or after a long double shift. <laughs> yeah. I, possibly both, but or they both. had it over the Internet, so it's preserved now for other people to read. <laughs> That's awesome. Our second uh, mysterious headline con concerns a defense project where now uh, the uh, military has at its disposal, at least in a uh, prototype form, a way to telepathically control a swarm of drones. Wow. Um, they've developed a kind of head, 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 uh, 
device that can read brain states and translate those into controlling more than one drone at the same time. At the moment, the swarm is not really a swarm, but the print <laughs> it's, it's like a couple of drones or something. Yeah. But uh, in principle, it's more than one, and so you can just scale up from there. And so uh, it's nice to know that uh, people, um, a, people who are even quadriplegic and laying in bed could make their contribution to military preparedness and defense. Um, that is a certainly positive way of looking at that, Jimmy, I have to yeah. say. Uh, I was no. sitting here thinking, what could possibly go wrong with telemetric <laughs> control of <laughs> robotic drones? But, uh, but Yeah, the- <laughs> well, there's a potential downside, too. But, yes. um uh, I'll let's stick on with the right your, side at the moment. Yeah, let's take <laughs> the right side on that one. And then uh, another headline? Yeah, finally, uh, there's an expo in New York on conspiracy theories. Obviously, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about conspiracy theories here on the show, or we are going to be. And uh, it's something that our audience will be interested in. So if you're in the New York area, you might want to check out uh, this New York Expo on Conspiracy Theories. It's going to be going on until January of 2019, and it focuses not only on the conspiracies themselves, you know, things like the Kennedy assassination and stuff like that, um, but also on how conspiracy theory has been reflected in art. And Ooh. so, um, so check that out. There's a story about that. Even if you can't make it to New York, you can go to the show notes and check out the link in the story. And they've got some pictures from the exhibit. One of my favorite Mac podcasters, David Hamilton, says uh, that he emotionally supports all conspiracy theories. Even if he doesn't support them intellectually, he emotionally supports all conspiracy theories. <laughs> so I love that. Uh, that that's, and it sounds very interesting. Uh, art, including, I would guess, movies, TV, and books is... And Part paintings and things like that. Ooh, interesting. I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure what all they have there, but they like they have a portrait of Lee Harvey Oswald in a certain color and things like that. So that wow. various things that artists have done to try to give expression to these uh, figures and, and that's ideas. Neat. That's neat. OK. All right, folks. Well, that's that's it from us. I just want to remind you to like, comment, subscribe, get notifications and share the podcast with other people. Help spread the word. Write us a review on iTunes, Google Play, and all the various places. Uh, but also, we want to hear from you. What did you think about this the mystery of the Antichrist as we discussed it today? Uh, did we miss anything? Do you have any questions? Um, would you like to explore some more uh, aspects of that? So let us know by uh, visiting sqpn.com or the SQPN Facebook page or the Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World Facebook page. You can find the link to today's show and then leave a comment there. Or you can send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com. And you can send us a written email or you can send us a, a recording of your voice. You could use a voice memo function on your phone, for example, to send us an attachment to an email. Uh, <clears throat> you can find the show notes uh, at sqpn.com and in various other places that we'll post the uh, show. And uh, we'll have all those resources to the links to the, uh, the listing of the uh, verses and the catechism. Uh, you can also find links to our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Dom. Once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. This is Dom Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcasts you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, 
visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give.